Welcome to Cole Sports. You have entered the zone called sports on another level. And now, here's your host, Cole Johnson. Cole Sports! I am that man, your man, the illustrious tour guide, Cole Johnson. And on this episode, we're going to talk about sisterhood. Yes, that is a champion's personified edition of Upon Further Review. And we're going to take a look at, hmm, funny behavior. We're going to have a really good edition with that one. Plus, we're going to talk about extensions, no hitters, and the NFL beginning. But let's stop with the teasing. Let's go to the headlines. Dateline Chicago. The NFL is back. And it is better than ever. Or, well, unless you're into defense, it's better than ever. Now, if it's the 54-51 tilt we saw last November between the Chiefs and the Rams... Thursday night's game between the Packers and the Bears at Soldier Field was not what you wanted. A 10-3 to defensive battle proved that defense ruled the night. But what should you expect? This was the first game of the regular season, and normally the defenses are a little bit ahead of offenses, so this wasn't a surprise to me. Now, what was a surprise to me was Matt Trubisky, and uh, I'll go a little further with that. Well, Trubisky finished the night 26 to 45 for 228 yards. No touchdowns, two picks. The surprise to me was how conservative they were all across the board. I'm looking at you, head coach Mike Nagy, who supposedly is this genius of an offensive guru, and he proved he didn't have the stones to go after the pat the new vaunted Packers defense, which I'll admit, holding the Bears to a field goal that is impressive. And they were the more impressive unit because Rodgers, for the Packers, finished 18 of 30, 203 yards and a touchdown. What he also finished with as well is being sacked four times by the vaunted Bears front. I'm not going to say that this is a portent of things to come because I don't think the Packers defense is that good. I don't really think the Bears offense is that bad, but I would not be surprised if the Packers build on that momentum on, on defense. And I'm sure they'll get on track on offense as well. The question mark to me is not the Bears defense, it's the Bears offense. Can they get on track? Or is losing Jordan Howard that important? I think it is. But will it derail the Bears? Hopefully it won't, but we shall see. Dateline College Football. The two big games on tap would be the defending national champs, Clemson, hosting the Aggies from Texas A&M, and the other big game in Austin between LSU and Texas. Dateline Cleveland. Let's see. Brown jerseys, brown pants, orange lettering, orange stripes. Now, what am I talking about? I'm actually talking about the color rush jerseys of the Cleveland Browns. And why am I talking about said jersey of said team? Well, it looks like the team petitioned to have that jersey to be the primary colors for at least the 2019 season and the NFL approved. Now, the brain trust have said that they're retooling their uniform look for next season. 
But for this season, since they had success wearing the jerseys in 2018, going 3-0, they figured, well, let's have a little more luck come into play with the jerseys. Well, my favorite from the Browns is always the white jerseys, white pants, the brown letterings and numbers, and the brown stripes with the yellow stripe in between. I'm sorry, with the orange stripe in between. Those will always be my favorite uniforms that the Browns will ever wear. Because to me, I just love classic uniform looks. But I did say luck, didn't I? I should be remiss to not take advantage of that segue. Dateline South Bend! Well, South Bend, Indiana got rocked a little bit with racism? And in the most peculiar way, with the mascot of the Fighting Irish. Say hello to the two new mascots for the Fighting Irish. The first female mascot, Lynette Wookie, and the male counterpart, Samuel Jackson. No, 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 no. No, no, not Samuel L. Jackson. No, not the one from Pulp Fiction and about 150 other movies fame. No, Samuel Jackson, Lynette Wookie. Both are African-American or black. And both are mascots. Yes, so they are both leprechauns. And you will see them dressed on the sideline, cheering up the home crowd, or at least cheering up the partisan crowd, in the ne- in the upcoming season of the football slate for Notre Dame. Well, there is some backlash to the fact that the look of the Irish is looking a little blacker than usual. Two tweets point that out. One from Dave Portnoy. Quote, you know what's sad? Internet outrage culture has made me afraid to say that I think the Notre Dame mascot should always be a midget looking ginger. So I'm just not going to say it. Close quote. Now, midget, of course, equals little person. Ginger equals white guy or white woman with reddish hair and reddish beard for a guy. Samuel had this to say about all the hullabaloo and the backlash that he really should not be getting. Quote, like it or not, this guy right here is still one of your Notre Dame leprechauns. How about we use this negative energy to bring us together this season? See y'all next game. Wink emoji, clover emoji, hashtag go Irish. Close quote. Don't hold your breath, son. You're going to see a whole lot of buffoonery as the season goes onward. The more things change. Dateline Milwaukee. Astro center fielder George Springer was tracking down a Ryan Braun long fly ball. He tracked it. He made the catch. He leapt to make the catch. And then unfortunately, when he was coming down, His head collided with the wall, his head snapped back, and then he fell almost lifelessly to the ground. I said almost because as soon as he collapsed to the ground, he immediately immediately grabbed the back of his head. The Astros personnel raced out to assist him, and after a momentary delay, he was carted off the field. Astros pitcher Zach Granke had this to say about what he witnessed. Quote, It was bad. 
I, I was just hoping there was nothing serious because a lot of things can go wrong when that stuff happens. So it was not a good feeling, really. Close quote. The manager of the Astros, A.J. Hinch, said that Springer was going to be evaluated for head injury and he is listed as day-to-day. And hopefully you will be there, George, in the stretch run and in the playoff run of the Astros next month. Happy recovery, my friend. Dateline Los Angeles. LBJ Trademarks LLC. For those who are uninitiated with those letters, LBJ stands for LeBron James. Well, his company decided to file a trademark for Taco Tuesday with the U.S. Patent and Trademark Office, and he did that in the middle of last month. Now, the filing says the trademark will pertain to downloadable audio-slash-visual works, advertising and marketing services provided by means of indirect methods of marketing communications, namely social media, podcast services, and online entertainment services, namely providing a a website featuring non-downloadable videos and social media posts in the field of sports, entertainment, current events, and popular culture. That's what the trademark is for. My gripe is this. LeBron, number one, you're not Latino. Number two, you come off sounding like a stereotypical Latino when you say Taco Tuesday. And number three, no! Line Toronto. The Astros ace Justin Verlander towed the mound one more time in Rogers Center, the site of one of his great career highlights. And on that date, this past Sunday, he provided another one. With a 2-0 victory of the Astros against the Blue Jays and over them, Verlander struck out 14 hitters, only walked one, in a 120-pitch masterpiece which provided his third no-hitter. Ground ball to third. Toro is there. His throw in time. Justin Verlander. Another exclamation point in a Hall of Fame career. His third career no-hitter. One of six in the history of the game with three or more and his second here at the Rogers Center. Congratulations to Verlander, one of only six pitchers who has thrown three no-hitters, and I believe the first to throw a no-hitter against the same team on the road twice. Well, as they, on this date, is trying to inch ahead of both the Dodgers in the NL and the Yankees in the AL in best record race, all three teams, 92 and 50, they're going to need efforts like this, maybe not always no-hitters, but at least ace-level pitching like this to stand head and shoulders above the rest. Later, we're going to take a timeline trip with enabling. We're going to celebrate sisterhood later on in the episode as well, but immediately following the break, we're going to talk about extensions and not the cord. I'm gonna go
the pain that you're suffering is so unbearable, so painful, so bad, so horrendous that you just simply can't see the forest for the trees, literally, that all you can feel is heartbreak and loss. Well, I have a free audio for you. It is titled How to Heal from Heartbreak. Let it all come to you so you can be about the business of healing. Today is a new day. Claim it at getoverdivorce.org. Extensions are going crazy in the NFL. So before I get to the meat of this segment, I have to address what the Texans did as well as they traded Jadavion Clowney to the Seahawks in exchange for two linebackers, one a pass rush specialist, so to speak, that really has not seen much of field time and a third round draft pick. Now, the dealing wasn't done there. They traded two first-round picks and a second-round draft pick to the Dolphins in exchange for Laramie Tunsil, the left tackle, and wide receiver Kenny Stills. It looks like the Texans are trying to build a team to win now. I do wince, though, at the Clowney trade, but that had to happen because they ruined the opportunity to re-sign him by shorting him his money designating a defensive and a linebacker, but I digress. I've expressed that earlier. I'm not going to do that here. What I am going to do here is talk about two guys who got extensions this week. One that it wasn't quite a surprise, and the other, it was a sign of what they think about the guy, and many probably didn't think that he would warrant the number that he got. I will explain a little further as I go The extension that we didn't think we were going to see, at least now, quarterback of the Los Angeles Rams, Jared Goff, he's in the fourth year of his five-year rookie deal. But he received a contract extension. Say hello to the quarterback, or I should say the NFL player, who owns the biggest guarantee in NFL history at present. With his four-year, $134 million extension, the deal includes a record $110 million in guarantees. No, one hundred ten million dollars in guarantees. 
So what does that say? Well, this comes on the heels of earlier in the summer, extending the contracts of general manager Les Snead and head coach Sean McVay to the 2023 season. And I think what the brain trust, starting with Stan Kroenke, is saying is they wanted to go into that new palace that they're going to ride into probably as either a Super Bowl favorite, Super Bowl champion, or an NFC two-time defending champ. Not saying that I'm rooting for it. I'm saying that the team is talented enough to pull it off. They're going to go into Inglewood with the three biggest pieces already locked for at least the next four years. So it looks like the Rams, who, funny how it, how it happens. When they drafted Goff back in 2016, they were uncertain. They just moved to Los Angeles from St. Louis. They basically abruptly moved from St. Louis there. They had a coach in Jeff Fisher where the team really didn't respond to him. It just seemed as though it was a bad fit and a bad marriage. And the team looked like they were in flux. You fast forward three years later, they look as solidified a team as you will see in the NFL. So the Rams have quickly gotten their act together. And now they went from one of the laughing stocks of the league to one of the most prized possessions in the league. And as they walk into their new stadium next year, one that will eclipse Jerry's world in Arlington, the sky will be the limit for the Rams if they can continue their recent trend of building upward and producing wonderful talent and entertainment. Because, well, this is Los Angeles and teams in Los Angeles, whether it's the Dodgers, the Angels, Clippers, the Lakers, or even the Rams, they have to produce winning with flair. Chargers, you need to go back to San Diego, but I'm sorry. I'm digressing. So from a team that looks like they are building upward and moving upward and having no drama whatsoever, save for possibly is Todd Gurley healthy or not, we switch our attention to the aforementioned Arlington. That's Texas. And that's the Cowboys. And the star on the helmet, they have the potential to have a Super Bowl run. But it was not going to happen unless they had number 21 signed for game number one this coming Sunday. And that would be Ezekiel Elliott. Now, I have said this time and again, and it will bear repeating. The contract that he has played, that he has played for and on, he outplayed it. No question. I mean, he was the Russian champion 2016 and the Russian champion in 2018 and probably would have been that in 2017. And that's where my caveat comes into play because he was suspended six games in the 2017 season. My issue with him is that on the field, he's wonderful. And yes, he's earned every bit of the next contract he got off the field. Not so much. And I'm going to go into it a little further. But let me get into the details of the contract extension that Elliott signed. The contract is worth $90 million. It is over the six-year span, and it is guaranteed him $50 million. Now, what does that mean? Well, that means that he has the richest contract for a running back in the history of the league. Personally, I have to look at it this way. Now, going into this season, Ezekiel had two years remaining on his rookie contract. And I think he should have looked out for his fellow teammates because the two guys that 
Gerald Jones, the head coach, general manager, probably concession stand seller and owner of the Cowboys, needed to have those two under contract before, in my opinion, before Elliott. And why? Because I think Elliott would have been the easiest to sign. The other two, I think, would be harder. And now with the golf signing early this week, the contract extension for Dak Prescott is going to be even harder because the market for top five quarterbacks has gone up again. So would that mean they're doing a franchise tag? I think they're going to lean toward that because if the reports are true, and I'm not going to say that they are, the $30 million per year contract that Dak turned down was supposedly turned down with the demand of him signing a $40 million a year contract. I don't think that's the case. I do think that he probably does want to get paid more than one of his fellow NFC East quarterbacks in Carson Wentz, who now has a $128 million contract over four years right now. So I think that is where it lies for him. I think that's what Dak wants. But the problem is you have a wide receiver in Amari Cooper who they got assigned to, and that's going to be a tough place to juggle for Gerald, for Stephen Jones, and for the brass of the Cowboys. I They're going to have to probably go the franchise route with one of them. Job, the Cowboys fan is saying there's going to be Cooper is going to be franchised, but I believe the easier contract will be him, even though wide receiver contracts are not cheap as well. Because no matter what, they're going to have to pay through the nose to go with Dak, whether it's through an extension or a franchise tag, or they will pay the inexpensive way and just let him go and have another team sign him. Because even though you need a running game with Dak Prescott, if you get a guy who can keep your offense on time, whether through the passing game or through the running game or through a balance, there you go. And I think they want to fashion and shape him after... Oh, a Russell Westbrook of the Seahawks. And hopefully Prescott can do that. But I think this signing with the Cowboys that Elliott forced the hand of the Cowboys to do, it may handicap them for the future. So you have the Rams who are solidified in who they are and what they are in their direction in the next five years. And then you have the Cowboys who, well, they're in flux even now. And they may be more in flux as the season goes along and as the seasons go along. Now, I will say this, their defense seems solidified. Now, we'll probably see some pieces that will leave, but that defense is solidified. The offense is looking better by the day. However, there's still some pieces missing because, well, you know you're not going to see Jason Witten, the tight end of the team, play a long time. He may play after next year. I highly doubt it because he is in his upper 30s. They're going to need to find a tight end that can replace him. And then they're going to have to probably start replacing pieces on that line. A team that is in flux in the Cowboys, a team that is solidified and coming into a a new building even better than they have been in the last 20 years in the Rams. Both teams extended two of their stars. Which one will it profit more? Come back, the adult of the week. <laughs> this 
is going to be a special edition again. You've tuned into the classiest sports show on the planet. From the vault, a look back at a key moment in sports history. September 7th. 1979. The television sports landscape only provided us with NBC, CBS, and ABC, where all sports fans went to watch their news of sports or sports events. It was those three channels and nothing else. Until the Entertainment and Sports Programming Network came upon the scene. The network which has spawned NBC Sports, CBS Sports, and Fox Sports started their journey and their climb to dominate the sports news on this date in 1979. From the Vault, brought to you by Cool Sports! You want to purchase shirts that actually say something that give you that appearance of being important, of wearing basically your heart as well as, well, your belief on your sleeve or on your shirt. Well, come to the Christian T-shirt company. We have all of what you're looking for. You can find that store at Sports with a Z dot com. This one, don't of the week. Dote of the week is sponsored by nobody, but we still are going to give it to you straight with no chaser. The winner of this episode's Dote of the week is. Oakland Raiders wide receiver Antonio Brown. No, no, no. The Oakland Raiders head coach John Gruden. No, 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 no. 
the Oakland Raiders general manager, Mike Mayow. No, 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 no. The Oakland Raiders. Yes, the whole team deserves this award. Why? Because you're enabling a man named Antonio Clown. Don't take my word for it. In the six months that he has been a Raider, he has provided us all with entertainment and fodder. But as I said, don't take my word for it. Let's unveil the timeline. March 13th, 2019. The embattled wide receiver for the Pittsburgh Steelers, Antonio Brown, completed the trade from there to the Bay Area. As the Steelers received the third and the fifth round draft pick, and the wide receiver received a three-year, $30 million extension. The wide receiver provided comments of bringing accountability, actions, and he said that's how he approaches things. Accountability, no. Actions, yes. May 28th, 2019. Clown snow job is in effect as teammates and coaches alike love what Brown brings to the table. But Clown giving a support tent to the future said about the coach John Gruden that it's never a dull day with him. It's always challenging, always high energy, always detailed and fundamental in regards to their assignments. High energy. How apropos. July 25th, 2019. Clown shows up in training camp in Napa Valley, but he also shows in training camp after a cryotherapy mishap in France provided him with blisters on his feet. Yes, Clown received frostbite. July 26th, 2019. Clown takes a hot air balloon ride over the Napa Valley country. And in his elaborate ways to begin during the camp season, this is how he kicks off this 2019 campaign. August 13th, 2019. Clown returns to Napa saying it was good to hear of the general manager Mike Mayock and coach John Gruden in supporting him in the two-week absence of his healing. A frostbite. August 18th, 2019. In the wake of losing his first grievance to wear a preferred helmet of his, Clown takes off from Napa again is fined $40,000 by Mayock, and he files yet another grievance with the NFL. Mayock had a press conference with reporters and said it was time for Clown to be all in or all out. August 25th, 2019. Clown loses his second grievance to wear his old helmet. 
but Drew Rosenhaus, the super agent, insists the receiver will find a new helmet, get an endorsement deal, and play on, and not threaten retirement like they did earlier that month. September 4th, 2019. Clown took to Instagram, and he posted the letter sent to him from Mayock detailing the fines from $40,000 in August 18th to $13,950 on August 22nd. Clown tags the Raiders in his response, which read in part, quote, when your own team wants to hate. Close quote. September 5th, 2019. Reports coming from Raiders Central that the Raiders will suspend Clown for conduct detrimental to the team. And it set the stage for a potential battle over the guaranteed money, putting in question whether Clown will ever play for the Raiders. September 6th, 2019. Clown's back in the building. Clown issued an emotional apology and Clown was announced that he will be back and play for the Raiders. September 7th, 2019. The Raiders fined Clown more than $215,000 for conduct detrimental to the team. And by finding Clown... The Braiders voided the $29.125 million worth of guaranteed money in his deal. Clown says there is no way he plays after losing guarantees. Clown asks for his release via Instagram. See, this is what you get. Raiders, you enabled this guy, and for six months, you have got nothing but drama. Now, you all probably thought, well, you know, he will come to this environment, that environment in Pittsburgh and Western Pennsylvania, it was a little toxic. It was him who was toxic. And now, all of you are paying the price. All of you. And this actually makes me happy because I have said for many years, the guy is the most talented wide receiver in the game. However, he is trouble. But the Raiders wanted trouble. Well, congratulations. Now I'm going to evoke what your late general manager, head coach, and owner of the Raiders, Al Davis, used to say. Just win, baby. Antonio Clown. Next segment, next segment. Antonio freaking Clown. From sending in the clowns to sending in excellence. Champions personified edition of Upon Further Review is next. Perfect.
So yes, the new podcast that I'm planning on launching this month of August 2019 will be about social media marketing. So and that's where I will show, I will share pretty much all that I've learned. Social media marketer and Pinterest enthusiast Adiola Adegbusi reveals herself on Revelations, Pippa.io, and all major podcast directories. Dig a little further in Major League Baseball's trek toward the playoffs. And the NBA will probably start very soon along with the NHL. Their preseason. Wow, didn't they just end their seasons just, what, three months ago? Well, that time has come. That is for next week, though. For this week. Now, I'll get the other particulars out the way. So in this year's U.S. Open, you have Rafael Nadal going for his fourth U.S. Open championship. And if I'm not mistaken, his 17th Grand Slam. And I might be wrong with that. It might be either 17th, 18th, 19th. What I do have no doubts about, Serena Williams is going for a 24th Grand Slam. But even with those two stalwart athletes reaching for something that very few, and in Serena's case, only one has achieved, both pale in comparison to what I think we witnessed this past weekend. So the talk of the town, the talk of the tournament was Coco Mania. And she accounted herself very well. And she ran into a buzzsaw of a different kind of proportion. But I'll explain that a little later in upon further review. Without further ado, Cole Sports proudly presents to you Champions! Personify! It was only the third round of the tournament when you had Coco Golf, who captured the imagination of New York in a very short amount of time, faced off against defending champ of the tournament and world's number one, Naomi Osaka. Now, Coco had some success in Wilbledon two months prior, and a lot of fanfare was heaped upon her. Here comes this tournament. 
She does very well thus far for a 15-year-old and received the lion's share of the coverage. Well, Naomi went to work and made short order of the match and the match really wasn't all that entertaining. Beating golf in straight sets, 6-3, 6-love. But that was not what made this list and all sports fans swoon, including this one. It was what happened after the match. So I'll set the scene for you. They meet at center court. They shake hands and they hug. They shake, of course, the umpire's hand. And Osaka greets the crowd, gives them a thank you, congratulatory clap. And then they go back to their respective benches. Well, Osaka stopped and then she pivoted and went over to golf side. They had a conversation, which teared up both people. And then an interview we did not think we were going to see transpired right before Flushy Meadow and our very eyes. Coco, this crowd absolutely loves you. Wipe those tears away. Tell us what Naomi told you at the net. Um, she told me that I did amazing and good luck, and then she asked if I could do an on-court interview with her, and I said no because I knew I was going to cry the whole time, but she encouraged me to do it. Team Coco, this is your first U.S. Open in the main draw. What has the experience been like? And tonight playing against one of the very best in the world, number one, Naomi. I mean, it was amazing. I mean, she did amazing, and I'm going to learn a lot from this match. And she's been so sweet to me, so thank you for this. Thank you. Lastly, Coco, you got doubles still. With McNally, every time you guys play, you win. How much are you looking forward to that tomorrow? Um, I'm super excited tomorrow, and, like, I love playing doubles, and I love playing with Katie, and I hope that we can do well in that. And once again, thank you, Naomi. I don't want people to think that I'm trying to take this moment away from her because she really deserves it, so thank you. (laughs) Naomi. class act you're used to being the young one what's it like now being the veteran and mentoring someone like Coco um I mean I don't think I'm a mentor um I just want to say if they're still here um you guys raised an amazing player um I remember I used to see you guys I don't want to cry I remember I used to see you guys sorry this is an emotional night everybody (laughs) to see you guys training in the same place as us and for me like the fact that both of us made it um and we're both still working as hard as we can I think it's incredible and I think you guys are amazing I think Coco you're amazing you've been in that position you've 
broken through a year ago winning this tournament and you said before the match there were some nerves being the defending champion but you came out and played outstanding tennis how would you assess your performance tonight um yeah, I mean, for me, I, I think this is the most focused I've been since Australia, so I'm sorry for playing you on this um, type of mentality, but um, yeah, I mean, it was, it was super fun, and yeah, thank you guys for coming out. That energy was crazy, even though it wasn't really for me, but... How much of that focus was due to knowing what Coco could bring? Yeah, I mean, um, for me, I've watched her play a couple of times, and I've always thought she was an incredible mover, so I thought, like, I had to get going right off the bat, and um, it's an incredible atmosphere, so. Isn't that wonderful? I mean, just think about this for a second. We come from a culture where we want to elevate the winners to the point where it's through excess, and then we want to crush the loser and make him or her feel so low. But in that moment right there, we were all taught that no matter if you're the winner or the loser, you have to elevate each other because it takes two to make this happen. Like the old school Rob Bass and DJ Easy Rock song. It takes two to make a thing go right. Well, in a singles tennis match, it takes two to make a thing go right there, too. But we weren't looking at just women or in Goff's case, a girl. We weren't looking at two black women, or in golf's case, a black girl. We were looking at two athletes who get, who fundamentally get what it's supposed to be about. You fight, you scratch, you battle, you claw, you do everything possible to beat your opponent. But you do so with the class and the reverence that is brought with you, hopefully, from how you were reared. And if you win, you don't rub it in the loser's face. You want to make sure that that everything is above board. And if you're the loser, you don't graciously lose. You don't be in a huff and you don't slam your things and just take your ball and run home. Isn't that right, John McEnroe? No, but what you do is you comport yourself like these two ladies did. You do what these two ladies did. They congratulated each other. They lifted each other up and I could big up Osaka and I will in saying that, you know what? This isn't really my moment. This is your moment talking to Coco to actually have the presence of mind to think like that is impressive to me. What is even more impressive is Coco. This girl's only 15 and she could have been an absolute basket case, but you know what she was? She wasn't that. She met defeat with the same class as she met victory in the two rounds before and in the rounds before in Wimbledon. She is a straight up competitor, but she's a respectful straight up competitor. And you have a sense that this this girl who's going to grow up to be a woman, she's going to do big things in the world of tennis. She just is. And I think she's looking at the person that she's going to be looking across the net against on many occasions and not come out on this end too many more times. To be 15 and that composed, to be 15 and that graceful, to be 15 and not to be swallowed whole by the moment, that 
is a professional. And I would show those tapes to any football, baseball, basketball, or hockey professional team and say to all of them, this is how you conduct yourself, whether you are in victory or in defeat. And then Osaka gave her interview platform to golf. Not all of it, but gave much of it to golf, where when you get interviews like that, you don't cede anything to the loser. So this is what I see. You have two phenomenal tennis athletes. One who already is at the top of the sport. The other climbing her way there and it's at the beginning of her climb and both showed without hoisting a trophy without holding a seven figure check without wowing somebody because they went through seven rounds unscathed in a Grand Slam tournament without holding some sort of placard without having the accolades of being Grand Slam champion They grabbed onto a prize that means a whole lot more than a Grand Slam championship or a seven-figure check ever could be. And why is that? It's because these two athletes show the power of what it means to be a champion without being crowned one. Because a champion doesn't begin with grabbing onto a trophy. No. A champion begins by being breathed on as one by the people who surround you. So with a Naomi Osaka, with a Coco Golf, the credit goes to both sets of their parents. Who instilled in each of these black girls that they are champions before they even step onto a Grand Slam court. And now as a woman... Osaka can model that the humility, the grace, the compassion, along with the burning fire to be the best. How could it not get better than that? And why would we want anything other than that? And then we see someone six years, her junior, who was made of the same stuff, who is just so full of fire. But it's so full of humility, so full of grace, so full of compassion. You can't tell me. You can't tell me that that women can't resort to anything other than being catty, because with those two, those two right there, they showed you what the power of a woman can be in front of millions on television, in front of thousands at a stadium. It's a song back in the 80s that was titled Sisters Are Doing It For Themselves. Well, these two sisters definitely are doing it for more than themselves. They are doing it because that's who they are. They are doing it for the world of tennis. But make no mistake about it. They are doing it for the other sisters who watch them. For all the other black women who watch them. All the other black women who can point to these two and say, see, this is how we are. We're not the other images that you see that others capitulate to. No, we're this. We're emotional in victory. We're emotional in defeat. 
We want to lift up one another because we see power in the other person or we see power in the other people. And because when we lift them up, we know they will lift us up. That is what women and black women in particular have told me, have demonstrated to me and has demonstrated to others. But we want to put the blind eye and have the blindfold on our eyes. Well, it's time to take the blindfolds off. You see, this is a masterclass in what sisterhood looks like. Gentlemen, don't hate on it and don't demean it. Don't diminish it. And ladies, take your bow and celebrate this because this is not an exception. This is truly the norm. But you have two outstanding world-class athletes who are showing the way for what powerful sisterhood really looks like. Thank you, Coco. Thank you, Naomi. I look forward to seeing you two, whether you two go at each other or you two go against others. I want to see both your careers blossom because we're at the end of seeing Serena Williams career, but we're now seeing the beginnings of two great athletes who are in her image battling like real athletes should in victory and defeat. If you happen to like this episode or any episode that you have heard thus far, the subscribe button is just flashing like a neon sign. Click that button and subscribe to Cole Sports on all major platforms. That's with a Z. And if you want to get exclusive content from Cole Sports, Patreon has a page that has Cole Sports on it, but you can access it on ColdSportsWithAZ.com. Now, if you want to be like at SportsProfit1 on Twitter and do what he does best, just speak his mind. I want to hear what you have to say. Say it with your chest. Go to ColdSportsWithAZ.com and do just that. Now, if you don't want to say it with your chest, but you want to write it with your chest, <laughs> you can reach us by email and you can get that email at ColdSportsWithAZ.com. You want to hear this voice on voiceovers and commercials. You've heard the commercials on this episode and you've heard voiceovers in other places. ColdSportsWithAZ.com is where you can find them. How about the private Facebook group, Cold Sports VIP Room? You have a take that's intelligent and classy and passionate. Bring it on. You can find that at ColdSportsWithAZ.com. You want to hear other guest appearances? Because this is not on just this show. It's on other shows. ColdSportsWithAZ.com is where you can find it. And you want to heal from heartbreak or you want to hear how this person conducts interviews with others? You can find both of those platforms on ColdSportsWithAZ.com. That's ColdSportsWithAZ.com. You can check out me and all of the brands that this voice represents on ColdSportsWithAZ.com. And it truly does not matter where you listen to me, how you listen to me, or when you do. I just want you to do these three simple things. That's right, three. Love yourself with your whole heart and love your neighbor as yourself. 
tell a friend to tell a friend about this particular program and enjoy the content for the intelligent sportsman i am cole johnson and this is You've been listening to Cole Sports with Cole Johnson.